You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gigillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. With AT&T in-car Wi-Fi, stay connected wherever you go and transform your vehicle into a dependable Wi-Fi hotspot. Powering applications like real-time GPS and voice assistant, navigation becomes a breeze. Even on the practice field, AT&T in-car Wi-Fi keeps you connected while in proximity of your vehicle. Work, stream shows, or finish homework without missing a beat. See if you're eligible for a free trial at att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi. Don't let connectivity be a roadblock in your journey. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Hi, everyone. Thanks for coming back to the show, if you're coming back. Yeah, if you're here for the first time, then, uh, I don't know, better? Even better? We'll be gentle. I don't know. I love our return listeners. I know. It's nice. Here's the thing. That's, you know what? No, yeah. We send a little bit more love to our return listeners. That's That's incentive to come back a second time. Right. New listeners, welcome. We love you. Returning listeners, mm. God damn. Damn. You look good. Yeah, y'all look great. You look good today. Mm. Is it hot in here? Or is it? It, it, is, it is hot in very here. Hot in here. <laughs> <laughs> We're so glad you're here. Uh-huh. I'm Eli. I'm Diana. I have a text message. Let's read it on the air. Oh, I know what it is. It's old news, is what <sighs> it is. It <laughs> is old news. We're very glad that Bob Odenkirk is okay. You guys, we were worried all day. We're recording As this. Yeah. Mr. Show fans, we were very worried about Bob Odenkirk. And, and his other work, but sure. mainly because of Mr. Show. Well, because we have a sketch comedy background, and Mr. Show mm-hmm. is foundational. Huge to inspiration. Any sketch comedy post 
the early 90s. We met Tom Kenny at Dragon Con once, and everybody was there to talk about SpongeBob, uh-huh. except for us and this other couple in line who were there specifically to talk about Mr. Show, <laughs> and we had such a good time waiting with them <laughs> to see him. And he was so glad because everybody wanted to talk about SpongeBob, and I think we blew his mind a little bringing up like, Mr. Show. <gasps> Mr. Show! Yeah. Anyway, we're glad Mr. Bob Odenkirk is okay. At least as of this recording, so far. he's he's in recovery. Mm-hmm. Well, like we said, we're so excited to be here. We're so excited you are here. Yeah. And uh, we want to share some of our excitement with you today because we've got ourselves a mail call. Mail. Awesome. We got an email from Robert Smith. Robert Smith <laughs> from The Cure? So glad he listens. It could be. It could be him. He says, Hi, Eli and Diana. I came across your podcast by pure chance, and I am so glad I did. I love listening to them on my walks in rural Scotland. I am a teacher at Scotland's oldest school, founded in 1183, where they teach classical studies. I have sent the episodes about Elagabalus to my colleague, but told her to maybe not tell the kids about her love of large (laughs) you-know-whats. Keep up the amazing work from Robert Smith in Bonnie, Scotland. P.S. I'm happy for my name to be read out, but Robert Smith sounds like a fake name. (laughs) (laughs) All right, fair enough, Robert. It's not the cure. It's not the cure, Robert Smith, but that's okay. You're probably more fun to hang out with. (laughs) <laughs> Undoubtedly. That's so cool that he works at the oldest school in Scotland. Yeah, That's amazing. Right? Also, Robert, I have a Scottish background myself. My grandmother was an immigrant from Scotland. Uh-huh. So I feel that I have every right to come visit you Absolutely. and crash on your couch. Yeah. So hopefully works, um, right? you don't mind when I show up. <laughs> <laughs> We're just going to go knocking on school doors in Scotland and say, are you the oldest? Right. Are, are you the oldest you? school? <laughs> Sorry. Go. This school was built in 1987. Oh, I love it. Get on down to the other Bonnie Wee School. That's <laughs> I assume that they say. Bonnie Wee School? Bonnie Wee School. Uh, that's awesome. Thank you for writing in, Robert. Yeah, so cool to hear from you, Robert. Thank you so much. Um, I have to bring us back down after all that excitement. No. Because, unfortunately, I, I hate this. Oh. We have to go back to Corrections Corner. <gasps> You're such a loser. This is a self-correction. This is something that I uncovered that we did horribly wrong. This is an egregious mistake that I am fuming about to this day. I discovered it yesterday and all night it's kept me up. I am livid. And it's not so much something we got wrong as it is something that we entirely omitted. Damn. Our recent episode, we talked about... King Seretse and Ruth Williams and their story about uh, uh, their interracial love, which kind of shocked uh, Southern Africa and England and eventually led to a redrawing of the map of Africa and the founding of the country that is now Botswana. Mm-hmm. Uh, very exciting story. Well, Seretse Kama spent some time in England and he went to school at Oxford and never once in this episode, in that particular moment, nor in the entire rest of the show, did we ever once make the joke Oxford comma? Come <laughs> on! I can't believe oh, that so that true. information passed us by and never once did I say, 
oh, he was a real Oxford comma or something. Like, yeah, we should have said when they when they were making fun of him for being an African king. We should yeah. have been like they were making they should have been making fun of him for being, for being an, an Oxford, Oxford comma. comma. God, I God am damn it. So upset. Cancel the and podcast. I, I, it's embarrassing, <laughs> quite frankly. It's I, I didn't even want to put this in the in the in the corrections corner because it's so embarrassing. <sighs> damn. That we let that slip by, but I had to own it. Well, I had to bring it up. I'm proud of you. Oxford comma. It's so good. His name is comma and he went to Oxford. <laughs> like how much you don't get a layup that often. It's just, you know? so true. And we I just let that, that ball just soar right past me and flop on the ground. It's outrageous. So I apologize to all of our listeners. Me too. I should have caught that as well. I yeah. do apologize. I mean, I'm. it's going to take some time. You should expect more from us. <laughs> yeah, you really should. But we, we will try not to let you down again. Yeah. Uh, I hope we can all move past it because we've got an exciting episode to get to today. So do. Um, please, if we can, all just put this behind us. Uh, let's talk about Murasaki. Yeah. Today's episode is about Murasaki Shikibu and the tale of Genji. And it's a sort of a departure for us, I guess. Yeah, Not really. So. Still in the romance genre, for right, sure. Right. Um, because Murasaki Shikibu wrote one of the oldest novels ever written called The Tale of Genji. And the story was all about romance and the woes of human existence. And though Murasaki seems to not have experienced much romance in her own life, today she's a symbol for marital success in Japan. And so I wanted to kind of explore how that went down. Yeah, it's very cool. Not your traditional, uh, you know, one person loves another story, but rather about the concept of romance itself. And it's... Mm -hmm. uh, and some symbols of that in uh, in ancient Japan, which we're excited to get into. Ancient Japan's cool. Japanese history is so interesting. Yeah. So I'm very excited to be on this archipelago. That's awesome. Uh, here comes the music, and let's go. Yay! Hey there, friends, come listen well. Eli and Diana got some stories to tell. There's no matchmaking or romantic tips. It's just about ridiculous relationships. A lover might be any type of person at all. An abstract concept or a concrete wall. But if there's a story worth a second glance, we'll put it in a show, Ridiculous Romance. A production of iHeartRadio. So, yeah, let's talk about Murasaki Shikibu. Murasaki was a Japanese novelist and a poet. She was a lady-in-waiting in the imperial court during the Heian period, which is considered the height of classical Japanese culture. The Heian period, <laughs> as Tony Danza would say. <laughs> For all you, who's, all you who's the boss fans out there. I know. what Heian. What a today reference that you've made. <laughs> Uh, she was born probably 973 or 978 to the powerful Fujiwara family, who basically ran all of Japan for generations through strategic marriages of their daughters to emperors and emperor's sons and through the use of regencies. So what they did was basically they would be the regent. The emperor was just kind of there to like wave at people and be at like religious ceremonies like he was really a figurehead the real power was behind the throne right with this regent and the fujiwaras were like well we always going to be the regent mm -hmm. one of us is always going to be that guy smart murasaki's branch of the family had lost some status over the generations they were not at the level of the regent fujiwaras but rather at the level of provincial governors but they had some extra clout in her branch because of their literary prowess. Both her grandfather and great-grandfather were well-known poets. 
Her real name is unknown. Her diary entries from 1007 um, include the names of several of the ladies-in-waiting that she lived at court with, including the name Fujiwara no Takako, and that might be her actual name, some scholars believe. But everyone knows her as Murasaki Shikibu. So during the Haiyan period, it was considered too blunt to say people's actual names. That Your name was your own. It's like rude. Right. <laughs> so women would take their names based on their own designation in court or by the rank or job of their father. So Shikibu refers to the Ministry of Ceremonials, where her father was a functionary. And Murasaki refers to a shade of purple that comes from a wisteria plant. And wisteria is the meaning of Fuji. This also makes her novel really hard to translate because the characters in the novel would often be described by their clothes, basically. So, like, if a character changes clothes, as they often did, suddenly they had a whole new name and you had to go figure out if they were a new character or an old one through context clues. It's like, oh, Mrs. Yellow just passed through the room. I wonder what she's doing today. And then, oh, Lady Blue Shoes just came back by. Did the same woman come through and come back? Or were those two different people? Did she yeah. change? And so, yeah, I guess some translators have been like, this makes it a little bit hard to yeah. figure out. Let's keep the thread of everything going uh -huh. on. I mean, imagine trying to read Wuthering Heights, you oh know, and the characters are only called by the color of their coats. Right. And They're they like, change their coats every minutes. came in. Yeah. You know, it's like everyone has one of those. <laughs> <laughs> I, I assume readers of the time were way more adept at keeping up with this than I would be now reading it. Honestly, I think they were. Yeah. I, I think they, they, they kind of they knew yeah. a little bit who they were talking about. Right. In Japan at the time, also, only men learned Chinese. Chinese was the language of the government, and so it was only for men to know. Women weren't meant to know this, <laughs> this language. <laughs> they were only meant to speak and write in Japanese. And at this time, Japan was becoming a little more isolated. They had used to send a bunch of emissaries on trips to China to learn, like, study their art and their politics and their government structures, which they would then bring back that knowledge and use it to create structures in Japan. But now it's the 9th and 10th centuries. They have revolutionized everything by creating kana, which is the alphabet for Japanese, basically for the Japanese language that they're already speaking, but now they could actually write it down. Mm -hmm. So they were trying to assert their own culture and their own traditions and everything instead of just trying to modify Chinese stuff, basically. Mm -hmm. But Murasaki knew Chinese. She wrote in her diary that she learned Chinese by listening at the door when her father taught her brother in preparation for his government career. She wrote, I became unusually proficient at understanding those passages that he found too difficult to understand and memorize. Father, a most learned man, was always regretting the fact. Just my luck, he would say. What a pity she was not born a man. Outrageous. <laughs> Come on. I think that's funny because it comes up so much uh -huh. when women do something out of the ordinary and her fa father's always like, if only you were a man or whatever. <laughs> and I'm like, did it never occur to you that you should like organize society differently? I guess not. <laughs> I was like, oh, I had five daughters and all of them are so much smarter than the average man. It's, you know, what a strange coincidence that these five girls are a lot smarter than I assume women to be. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, it must be five freak accidents. <laughs> right? And it's especially funny because they thought women didn't have the intelligence to grasp the Chinese language. Right. 
And meanwhile, she's learning outside the door from uh-huh. like whatever she can hear. And she's doing better than her brother, who's getting the full attention of his teacher. I, so let's, I mean, come on. A, I do not have the intelligence to learn the Chinese language. Same. <laughs> it's too, Same. I mean, I probably do, but I should have started a long ass time ago. The few times I've looked at it, I'm like, nope, can't, I am too dumb. And second of all, I can't like... I can't hear you through the bathroom door, like when you're trying to tell me something I need to know. Like I couldn't, I couldn't learn Chinese from you through that door. Mm, That's for, for damn real. sure. Especially if you weren't even talking to me. Mm. That's mean, that is impressive. I'm impressed by this. So usually, husbands and wives kept separate households during the Heian period. Uh, the children would live with the mother, but Murasaki lived with her father. Now, it's likely because her mother probably died in childbirth. Mm-hmm. And it was also unusual for noble women to travel distances further than a few days. But she accompanied her father when he had a four-year governorship post in the Echizen province. Also, unusually for noble women, she didn't get married as soon as she hit puberty. <gasps> she stayed in her father's household until her mid-20s. Or possibly even her early 30s. What an old lady. Whoa, she's oh, she's practically goodness. dead. <laughs> you need a walker there, Grandma? <laughs> so, what, is your womb all dried up at this point? <laughs> right. Oh, you're 30? Well, you're 18 years behind marriage. I mean, like, come <laughs> Outrageous. on. And you know what? She's still perfectly fine, everyone. I know, right? <laughs> Sharp as a tack. So anyway, her education and her lifestyle had already set her apart. Probably made her a better writer, don't you think? Yeah. She had a little more experience of the world and... <laughs> and she wasn't married at 12, so... <laughs> well, right? A, a lot more to say. A lot more to say. I don't know. So many of these older cultures... I mean, even some current cultures, you know, sure. marriage at puberty is not uncommon and of course it's outrageous to us mm-hmm. um actually you can go listen to some of that in our recent guest appearance oh, on true. uh ridiculous history if you guys didn't catch that we guested on ben and Knoll's show uh yeah. and talked about some fascinating courting rituals from around the world it's a mm-hmm. two-parter and uh some of those have to do with just how young people sometimes are when they start uh getting entwined with a partner so true yeah yeah that was a good time yeah anyway she came back to the capital, Kyoto, which at the time was called Haiyan Kyo, to marry her father's friend, Fujiwara no Nobutaka. And he was a much older second cousin of hers. Probably this was like around the year 998 or 999. Nobutaka is a bureaucrat like her father. Uh, he's known as a talented dancer and an extravagant dresser. He's gregarious and well-known at court. Um, he's probably in his late 40s when they married. And he had several other households. He had wives. He had other children. He had numerous ro- romantic affairs going on in the court and stuff. Um, which I was like, who's got the time? Seriously. <laughs> like, my God. You got to like... visit every one of these bitches. <laughs> like, how do you not have other shit to do? Oh, my God. Hang on. Tuesday through Thursday, it's out for me because I've got nine wives to visit. <laughs> And I got to give them three hours each. Yeah, otherwise they get mad. Uh huh. And then I don't know my kids' names yet, so I better <laughs> right, go. I, I better go cram before I go see them. But apparently, courtiers at this time had very few actual duties, so <laughs> they had all kinds of time to have affairs and do crazy stuff. So uh, I guess he did have the time. 
Much more than we do today. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. <laughs> His job is literally not to do that much. Yeah. Just to marry a lot. You're just meant to be here and look cool, yeah. I guess, and like write poetry and be cool. Yeah, I don't be know. a dancer, mm-hmm. dress flamboyantly. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, that's it. And is this is and there a application process here, <laughs> or is somewhere I can get? I would do like an apprenticeship for this. I think you had to be a Fujiwara dude. I don't think you got to. Is that is that a possibility? Uh, you don't, well, I think it'd be tough for you, yes, to be a Fujiwara uh, <laughs> descendant, but it's not impossible. You should do outrageous. your twenty three and me and listen find to out. me. I'm a white man, <laughs> and I like to be able to do whatever I want. And I want to be a Fujiwara. Uh, take it up with Japan. I will not. Yeah, I, I actually wish you wouldn't. <laughs> no, I will definitely not. They have other things to do. Discuss that with They're Japan. in the middle of the Olympics, fact, and they got other shit yeah, to do. <laughs> Japan, I apologize for distracting you at this difficult time. Please ignore me. <laughs> They're like, we were. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't worry. Like, huh? What? Anyway. So Murasaki would have stayed at her dad's house, and her husband would come to visit her there. Uh, So that was like her living arrangement, kind of. And accounts kind of vary about how happy this marriage was. Um, The professor of Japanese studies at Cambridge, Richard Bowring, says their marriage was happy in his book. But Japanese literature scholar Haruo Shinane thinks that there were indications in Murasaki's poetry that she resented her husband. Yeah. So we don't know if she liked him or not. So she probably has a poem that's like, no, everything's fine. <laughs> and, and Richard Browning's like, well, she said everything's fine. <laughs> she, and, the poem's called, let's do whatever you want to do. <laughs> Shinane's like, yeah, there was problems here. She yeah. was not happy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Shinane's like, I've written that fucking poem before. I'll tell you what. <laughs> Richard's like, well, she said everything's fine. I don't understand. <laughs> let's do whatever you want to do. That's very nice. What a gesture. Yeah, Mrs. Bowring's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> there was probably a poem called, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez. So Murasaki and Nobutaka had a daughter in the year 999, and her name was Kenshi. And then Nobutaka died two years later during a cholera epidemic. Mm-hmm. So she wasn't married for very long. She's got a daughter now. Once she was married, now she's going to get servants to take care of her from for day-to-day stuff, then that gave her a lot of leisure time. It's likely that she started writing the novel that she's known for, The Tale of Genji, during her marriage, and then finished it while at court. Mm -hmm. So she suddenly got all the time in the world. Right. Everybody's taking care of business for her. Sounds great. Seriously. If I had, you know, servants and ladies-in-waiting taking care of my day-to-day stuff, I'd finally write a book, too. (laughs) I know, right? I mean, I wouldn't. Let's be honest. (laughs) No, I wouldn't. (laughs) But at least I would finally not have anything else to blame. So let's talk about the tale of Genji and get into that story a little bit uh, right after this little commercial break. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. 
Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Okay. I love Walker Hayes. He's amazing. He's so fun. Such a great entertainer. And that's why I'm so excited that JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. The Walker Hayes for JCPenney collection is an upbeat playlist of instant classics with laid-back appeal and down-home vibes. As a dad of seven kids, he knows exactly what fathers want and need when it comes to their style. This collection reflects his casually cool styles with outdoor-inspired details and versatile colors. Perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. With AT&T in-car Wi-Fi, stay connected wherever you go and transform your vehicle into a dependable Wi-Fi hotspot. Powering applications like real-time GPS and voice assistant, navigation becomes a breeze. Even on the practice field, AT&T in-car Wi-Fi keeps you connected while in proximity of your vehicle. Work, stream shows, or finish homework without missing a beat. See if you're eligible for a free trial at att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi. Don't let connectivity be a roadblock in your journey. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't get distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Free samples, free shipping, and our 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step and into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off at Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Welcome back, everybody. We're about to dive into the Tale of Genji. Tales differ about how the Tale of Genji was inspired. In one legend, an empress asked for a new story, and she and Murasaki retreated to a temple to get some peace and quiet to write. There was a full moon, and she stared at it, lost in its beauty, and a vision of the tale rose before her. Royal Tyler, who translated Genji in 2008, wrote in Harvard Magazine, quote, she saw her hero, Genji, languishing in unjust exile on the shore of a moonlit sea, and the image was so compelling that she immediately wrote down what would become chapters 11 and 12. Legend has it that since childhood she was close with a gifted courtier who had been unjustly banished, and she drew on his story for inspiration as well. Even though many Japanese scholars have dismissed this idea, it's very common for paintings or etchings of Murasaki to depict her at the Ishiyama temple looking up at the moon. It's a very classic image in Japan. Mm, yeah. Murasaki looking at the moon. 
And the tale of Genji is a really important literary achievement. It's considered by some to be the world's first novel, period. Like before Sorcerer's Stone. Because <laughs> Long I think before Sorcerer's Stone. Harry Potter Stone. and the Sorcerer's Stone came out 32,000 <laughs> years ago. <laughs> I don't know if anybody knew that. but Well, I it think it's older than that. Before that. Wow, okay. Before the Da Vinci Code. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, other people do qualify it a little bit by saying it's maybe not the world's first novel, but it's the world's first psychological novel where the inner lives and thoughts and feelings of the characters are more the focus of the writing than, like, the events of the plot. Okay, yeah. Some other people say it's the oldest novel that's still considered a classic today. You know, there's a lot of qualifiers. Yeah, it's but old. It is, it is widely considered to be one of, definitely one of the oldest novels, right. like, of that genre of right. fiction. Of prose. Prose, You know, not, yeah. not like Gilgamesh. Beowulf. Yeah, mm-hmm. those, you know, the epic poems and everything, but... but Prose. Solid prose novel. She wrote it concertina style, which I thought was cool. That's where the pages were pasted together, and they folded in on, ch- on each other like a fan. So accordion style. Yeah, but it's a concertina because it's slightly smaller. Yeah, but it's... <laughs> than an accordion. <laughs> but if I'm opening it, it's <laughs> it like an accordion. Yeah, it yeah. makes sense. But, but if you cut it into shapes like, and then unfolded it, it would be like the chain of gingerbread men. <laughs> I guess you'd be cutting a, a piece well, of not literature, gonna. sir. <laughs> That's outrageous. I would never do it. I found, oh, I found this 1,100-year-old <laughs> scroll. Let me see if I can cut it into snowflakes and hang them up. <laughs> that would be so Somebody's tried it. That's all I'm saying. Uh, and she probably wrote it in installments and then passed on new chapters to ladies-in-waiting and to other people so they yeah. get copied and shared. And that's kind of how her notoriety was getting uh, getting around. That's the best. We should be releasing things in chapters, not dumped all at once onto Netflix. Come on, guys. Week-to-week episodes. It's much more engaging. I mean, people do have time to talk about it. That's for sure. Yeah. And she had time to finish it, let's be honest. Well, she had to wait till the end. It would be a George R.R. R. Martin situation. Uh, right. Where you would just be like, <laughs> waiting, waiting, waiting for a new story for like 20 years. I'm on, I've been on chapter 36 <laughs> for the last two dynasties. <laughs> uh, the book ends up having 54 chapters and translated into English. It's around 1,100 pages long. Um, there are tons of side characters. There's not really a central plot. I mean, Genji's your main protagonist, obviously. Um, but mainly all the characters, are you're following them as they age. So they're just kind of dealing with life as it comes along and mm-hmm. thinking about their their scheme, their place in the scheme of things. Right. And it also focuses mainly on Genji's romantic life. So she describes a lot about what aristocratic life was like at the time. He has a bunch of sexy times. <laughs> oh, go get it, Genji. There's a New York Times article titled, After a Thousand Years, Kyoto Still Loves Genji and Its Author. And they describe the plot as, The married hero impregnates his stepmother, falls in love with a child whom he raises to be his wife. Uh, side note, that character is named Murasaki after the author, which is an interesting choice. The daughter that he marries. Yes. No, which is not his own daughter. No. Right. Yeah, he adopted her. Yeah. And she was cute. And then she grew up, and he's like, now we'll get married. At Woody Allen. It's like a weird grooming thing. The yes. Woody Allen thing. Okay. Had a Woody, Woody Allen thing. All right. Genji retreats into exile after he's discovered in mid-tryst with the daughter of a political enemy. Supporting characters fall victim to amnesia and die of heartbreak. They exchange poems and dampen brocade sleeves with bitter tears. Wow. Evocative. Yeah, this article says that, quote, to modern readers, the book's enormous emotive cast can seem overwrought. Sure. 
but it kind of just sounds like a soap opera to me. Right. <laughs> I mean, like fully like amnesia, heartbreak, right. step marrying your stepmother. Uh-huh. Like I feel like that's all. Those are all plot lines. One that character you could find. is in a terrible accident, and she has to change her clothes, and she comes back as a new actress. <laughs> and everyone's like, <laughs> "Oh my gosh, it's yellow dress." Yeah, it's a yellow dress. I thought uh, <laughs> uh-huh. you look so much better than when you were blue shoes. <laughs> Yeah, okay. she even re- distributed it in episodes, so it was very oh, yeah. much like a, it is like a, a telenovela kind yeah, of. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I was kind of picturing it like a Days of Our Lives meets Mrs. Dalloway, <laughs> where <laughs> you're like getting these like really deep inner thoughts of these like soap opera characters. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so Genji may be partially based on the most powerful figure in court politics at the time. His name was Fujiwara no Mishinaga. He was the regent when the power of the Fujiwara clan would reach its zenith. How did he get this power? Well, the classic Fujiwara way. Strategically marrying off his daughters. <laughs> that's, that's, I'm going to marry off my daughters strategically, like my father before him with all my sisters and his father before him with all my aunts. <laughs> exactly. That's what you got to do. So Mishinaga is cunning, right? This guy knows what to do. And he's got a nephew named Korochika. Korachika was supposed to be regent because his sister, Teishi, was the empress. But Mishinaga was like, "Uh uh-uh, I got other plans. I want to be regent. So he led his nephew to believe that the former emperor, named Emperor Kazan, was sleeping with Korachika's mistress. So Korachika and his servants jumped on Kazan and struck him with an arrow. And this is outrageous because... Of course, not only was he the former emperor, but he actually abdicated his throne to become a monk. So you're like attacking a former emperor slash monk, serious crime. And Mishinaga, his uncle who put him up to this, was like, oh no, that's that's very bad. How dare you? And he pressed charges of les majestes laws, which is where you can't do bad things against a ruler. Mm-hmm. And the court found Korachika guilty of putting a curse on the current emperor's mother, Senshi. And she already didn't like Korachika, and she was helping Mishinaga take over. So this was all arranged by Mishinaga <laughs> to, like, fuck up his nephew. She didn't have no curse. Uh-huh. <laughs> Surprise, there wasn't a curse. I, I mean, <laughs> well. <laughs> so pretty, pretty, uh, pretty cunning dude there. Mm-hmm. He's screwing everybody else over to get himself into power. Poor Emperor Kazan is just walking down the street one day like, doo-doo-doo, I'm not an emperor anymore. I'm a monk. That at least nobody's going to try and assassinate me. <laughs> <laughs> Gets attacked. Well, it was pretty funny that he's a monk, but they're like, oh, he's sleeping with your mistress. Right. Like, aren't they not well, supposed to sleep with me? I, I know they do, to. but I guess, yeah. Apparently, yeah. he just entered the building, and it was like the same building the mistress was in. And so it was like enough for Korachika. Wow. So maybe he wouldn't have been a good regent. Is I was other, he say, might have been like, if you jump to conclusions that quickly, and yeah. you're so quick to be like, we got to jump him, and yeah. like, you Korchika know, show him what's up. very gullible. Yeah, maybe you're not. <laughs> maybe Mishinaga was like, oh, we can't let this guy yeah, take over. That's, his real crime is that I set him up for this, and he was dumb enough to believe it. <laughs> I know, right? Like, They're like, yeah, you should definitely take control. <laughs> so Mishinaga himself married a couple of sisters, like you do, and uh, <laughs> of, of powerful warrior clans, um, so that he'd get himself some muscle. He's like, mm-hmm. oh, you know, I married all these sisters and they all got tough brothers. So. Right. And their loyalties to me now because yep. I'm married to their sister. Yeah. 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 So he wasn't just strategically marrying off his daughters. He also strategically married off himself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he, of all the Fujiwaras, 
managed to marry off the most of his daughters to emperors. He married four of his daughters to emperors. So is that he like had Guinness records. I know. Right? <laughs> Where is that? So he had unprecedented power. Way to go, Mishinaga. You really gamed the system there. Right. And you might be wondering how he was managed to marry his daughters to a bunch of emperors. Well, first of all, they didn't all get married at the same time. Um, some of them <laughs> married the emperor's sons. So it was kind of like hedging your bets. Like you'd be like, I don't know which son's going to take over, but oh, yeah. I'll have a daughter in every household. So then <laughs> just in case <laughs> I get oh, <wow>. to <laughs> have some power in the situation. But one way that he managed to marry his daughters to so many emperors is that um, he just didn't care if the emperor was already married. Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> so the emperor Ichijo already had an empress. Her name's Teishi. We already met her. Remember, it was her brother, Korachika, who was supposed to become regent. Right. But Teishi had supported her brother, obviously, during this whole power struggle with Mishinaga. Oh, no. So when he lost, she also lost. She lost a lot of popularity and a lot of support Mm -hmm. at court. So she's still empress, but people just aren't very respectful, I guess. (laughs) She's like, a curse is insane. Why do your people believe this? And they're all like, oh... So Mishinaga wanted to undermine her even more, and by doing so, also strengthen his own position. Let's not forget. <laughs> That's right. always the main thing. Yep. So he had his daughter Shoshi become part of Ichijo's harem when she was about 12 years old. And a year later, he had her named Empress, even though Teishi was already named Empress. <laughs> he was just like, whatever. <laughs> I do what I want. Wow. Um. Historian and professor emeritus of East Asian languages at Berkeley, Donald Shively, says Mishinaga shocked even his admirers by doing this. This would be the first time in Japanese history that an emperor had two empress consorts at the same time. I love that they they are putting the blame on that to Mishinaga and not the emperor who yeah. married. Oh, two, they twice. all knew who was in charge. Yeah. <laughs> I love the idea though that Ichijo didn't have any choice. He's in the... so his, uh, Who am I marrying today? Oh, uh, here's a thirteen-year-old girl in your hair. Have you met her yet? Uh, no. Well, anyway, she's going to be your new empress. Oh, okay. Uh, don't I don't I already have a yeah, wife? Yeah, yeah. Uh, don't worry no? about her. Okay, I guess we'll I'm... deal with that. <laughs> <laughs> he had Teishi named Lustrous Air Bearer because she had a son, um, and Shoshi was named Inner Palatine, which I guess unofficially was somehow a higher title than Teishi's. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> so. I was like, poor Teishi. She's like, so wait a minute. Not only does this bitch have the same title as me, it's somehow higher than mine? And I got here first? This is bullshit. Who do I talk to? (laughs) So Mishinaga invited Murasaki to make up part of the new Empress Shoshi's court. Could have been a number of reasons for this, apparently. See, Murasaki exchanged poetry with Mishinaga. And that has led some scholars to think maybe they had a little something-something going on. Mm-hmm. It doesn't seem like much, just a little, oh, here you go, uh, some poems for you, sir. Oh, thank you, you know, It seems like a pretty standard procedure to us, but aristocratic women of that time lived very restrictive lives. So Murasaki wouldn't have been allowed to speak to men unless they were very close relatives or members of the household. She socialized with women, and she often exchanged poetry with women, but she had very limited contact with men other than her father and her brother, and she never exchanged poetry with men. So this is a total departure from the norm and very interesting that she slipped uh, slipped Mishinaga a couple of poems, you know, mm-hmm. like, 
Hey, I got a couple of stanzas for you, buddy. What do you think of these? <laughs> Here's a rhyming couplet for you, handsome. Hi. But I don't know if she was really into him or if he was just into her. Right. Because she also wrote about his pursuit of her in her diary as late as 1010, mm -hmm. saying that she had to avoid advances from him. Like one night he sneaked into her room and stole a newly written chapter of Genji. Unbelievably rude. But in one poem she gave him, she wrote, You have neither read my book nor won my love. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Which, take note, if you want to love an artist, you got to engage with whatever art they make. Yeah. Okay? You, you can't gotta... be like, I love this author, but I'll never read her book. You're no. going to have to read the book, man. Get that content. I would say by, like, the fifth date, you got to have a good grasp of, of their art. Yeah, man. They will take it personally. That's why, you know... Maybe you don't date a thousand-page novelist. <laughs> this is gonna be, you're looking at a lot of work. There's a lot of reading. <laughs> well, she does it by chapters, so you got time. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Catch up. Yeah, catch up. He's, he's like, uh, yes, dear. I'm, you know, I'm working my way up to chapter 683, <laughs> but I'm only on 22 so far, so. Call me when you finish it, Click. <laughs> he's like, all right, and he accordions it back up. <laughs> But his patronage was essential if she wanted to keep writing because he was providing her with the expensive paper and ink and court calligraphers to make copies. So I'm like, she might have just been giving him poems because she's like, you're paying for this. So yeah. Here, read it. I don't here's know. What I, here's what your money's buying. Or she's like, I guess I'll let you touch my boobs if it means I can write my story. I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, we've all been there. Um, I forget sometimes... The, you know, the expenses that would go into this mm -hmm. paper and ink were not, you know, you couldn't just go down to the old office depot nope. and, uh, and, and pick up a ream. Mm -hmm. And the other thing I don't think of is like how thirsty people would be for a chapter of something or a poem or whatever, because it's, you, you didn't have Netflix, you yeah. know, you didn't even have a blockbuster. Yeah. This was well before either of those things by a couple years. And, um, <laughs> Just a few. And yeah, so it's like, <laughs> oh my God, a piece of fiction? Mm -hmm. For the love of God, I've been waiting years to read one of these, literally, you know. Well, just like yeah. the legend was that she wrote the tale of Genji because uh -huh. the Empress didn't have a new story and right. she wanted one. Right. And she's like, I'm so sick of these old stories I already seen uh -huh. heard a thousand times. Tell me something new. Right, right. Also, Mishinaga had 13 kids, okay? Oof. Uh, he had six with each of his two wives, the sisters of those warrior clans. Okay. And one with an unknown woman. Uh-oh. So if I can pull into Speculation Station really quick. Ooh. What if Murasaki was the baby mama of oh. this random kid? Yeah. I mean, look, she's given him poems er, and stories. <laughs> if not to your baby daddy, then who? I'm not sure if I believe it myself because just her character doesn't bear out to me somebody who a would maybe have an affair like this yeah or b wouldn't write about it write write it down somewhere mm. uh, because she did write down a lot of things that right, you, right. like some roasty type comments <laughs> where you're like oh <laughs> shit i don't know i don't know and speaking of all these poems that you know she was giving to mishinaga and just everything she was writing she was in such high demand uh kind of want to hear some of that right so mm -hmm. hey i get an idea why don't we go on down to Poetry Corner, and we'll hear what Murasaki has written for us. As the song of the crickets fades in the hedge, it is impossible to stop autumn's farewell. How sad they must be, too. Wow, that is somber. 
Let's hear what else she's got tonight. Westward messages following the moon. Why would I forget to send news along with the drifting clouds? Yeah, it's lovely. Evocative. Yeah. You can see why she was in high demand. Mm Mm-hmm. Especially when there was like, again, no other entertainment. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously. (laughs) I mean, if, if she, if the, if in 2021, all the internet went away. People would be thirsty for some Murasaki. They would be. So they would fight each other just to get their hands on a three-line poem. They'd be like, anyone just stand up in front of me and entertain me for I five minutes or more. need content! <laughs> so now you've heard some of her poetry. We know that she's a popular author of this, this novel that's going around. So it might be that Mishinaga wanted Murasaki there to elevate Empress Shoshi's court. Um, because Emperor Ichijo's mother, Senshi had a very well-respected literary salon of her own. So a lot like the French court of Madame Pompadour, if anyone remembers that episode from way back in the day. Our very first episode. Our very first. um, Noble women may have led some restricted lives, but they could wield considerable influence by holding powerful artistic salons like Madame Pompadour did. And so essentially they're creating pop culture in these salons. You know what I mean? They're, They're deciding what's what other people need to be reading and talking about. Right. So common pastimes for noble women included having love affairs, writing poetry, and keeping diaries. <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> uh, and some of the writing done by noble women in the Heian period is recognized as some of the earliest and among the best Japanese literature. In fact, their writing has been called instrumental in creating a written Japanese language. So if it weren't for these women writing these stories in kana... You know what I mean? Like, they basically yeah. set the foundation for Japanese literature. Um, they also adhered to rigid fashions of floor-length hair, whitened skin, and blackened teeth. Blackened teeth. Mm-hmm. What a look. I know. It was like Halloween all the time. Uh, I mean, how good were teeth in the year 1000 anyway? That's fair. I'm just picture. I'm just going to the, like, Japanese horror movie. With like a girl with a with a white painted face, hair down to the floor, and blackened teeth, and True. I'm not gonna sleep tonight. <laughs> um, <laughs> like I've seen that movie too many times. <laughs> I mean, again, I think just everyone's teeth sucked and were like brown and yellow and broken. So sure. they were like, I mean, we can't make them whiter, <laughs> so let's make them darker. <laughs> just try and make it look like there's no teeth in or there. Or maybe it was like, so yeah, there's no teeth, so it's just this pink mouth. Ooh. I mean, I, I don't know if anyone out there read Memoirs of a Geisha and loved it like I did when I was in <laughs> high school and I was obsessed. But she talks a lot about how their fashion was very specific to make you think of vaginas. Oh, my goodness. Wow. So their their hairstyles would be like a, a like a peach shape or a rose shape with a pink ribbon in between. Oh. So you'd catch a little glimpse of pink or whatever. And it was just all that was supposed to be making men think about sex. Because if there's one thing men need reminders of constantly, know, right? it's vaginas. <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> Did you forget, sir? Mm. Let my hair remind you, <laughs> vagina. It's like, oh, I almost forgot about oh. vaginas. I forgot I was here to try and do it. That's also just caught myself sounding like Seth Rogen. <laughs> oh, I did. forgot about vaginas. <laughs> He definitely has said that before. Like, during Sausage Party, he was like, oh, shit. Oh, yeah. I guess we'll just call it Sausage Party. (laughs) Forgot about vaginas. (laughs) Put that in the uh, soundboard. (laughs) Yeah, right. Just I need a sound cue. I forgot about vaginas. I forgot about vaginas. (laughs) 
Taishi also had literary salons. So you've got the emperor's mother, Senshi, who had very well-respected salons, and Taishi had one of her own going on. And she had another great writer named Sei Shonagon, who wrote The Pillow Book. And this was another highly regarded piece of Japanese literature. Unlike Genji, The Pillow Book wasn't fictional. It was actually a series of observational essays. There was some, I think there was some poems in there, like some random observation. It was like a miscellaneous collection of yeah, stuff. Yeah, blogs. <laughs> blogs, yeah. The medium posts of their time, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, Teishi herself died in childbirth, sadly, in 1001. So Murasaki and Shonagon, the two writers, they weren't here at court at the same time. So Mishinaga may have wanted a writer of similar stature as Shonagon to be a part of Shoshi's court, and Murasaki was already well-known as a great writer, with chapters of Genji already kind of being distributed around the court. So that might be why he got her to come join Shoshi's court. It was like, oh, if Teishi had Shonagon, I got to one-up that. Mm -hmm. So I'm getting Murasaki. But officially, Murasaki was there as a companion tutor to teach, to teach Shoshi Chinese poetry. To teach Shoshi Chinese poetry. Say that ten times fast. To teach Shoshi Chinese poetry. Don't actually say it ten times. I'll just repeat I won't, it in post. I but it's hard. <laughs> um, <laughs> the attitude towards Chinese as a language was contradictory, though. Here, Sei Shonagon, who was the author in Teishi's salon, showed off her knowledge of Chinese. And Shoshi learned classical Chinese from Murasaki, but it was in secret. People didn't want to know she was learning Chinese. It was mm-hmm. Taboo, I guess. But... She added screens with Chinese writing in her palace, and this caused an uproar because only men knew Chinese, so it's not supposed to be associated with women in any way. Yeah. How dare a woman put screens up with Chinese writing on them? We've never been so offended. I guess it'd be like, uh, you know how men used to be the only ones to curse? So right. then if a woman put up a poster that said, fuck, you know, like <laughs> all the dudes would be like, oh, my God. <laughs> my heart. Palpitations. <laughs> but in either case, it, it was still becoming less popular to know Chinese anyway, since Japan was actively trying to assert its own language and culture at this point in history. So although Murasaki used the language in her writing and taught it to Shoshi, publicly, she rejected it. She was like, no, I'm not into that. Yeah, she loved Chinese poets, and she mm-hmm. read a lot of Chinese literature, and, I mean, you know, it was a mark of education still. Right. And you had to know it if you're a man, even if you didn't right. want to, because that was the language of the government. You right. had to know. Um, but, yeah, she was like, to be patriotic, I will say that Chinese is pretentious. <laughs> so, time for a little itty-bitty commercial break. We'll be right back. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. 
We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Okay. I love Walker Hayes. He's amazing. He's so fun. Such a great entertainer. And that's why I'm so excited that JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. The Walker Hayes for JCPenney collection is an upbeat playlist of instant classics with laid-back appeal and down-home vibes. As a dad of seven kids, he knows exactly what fathers want and need when it comes to their style. This collection reflects his casually cool styles with outdoor-inspired details and versatile colors. Perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th, just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. With AT&T in-car Wi-Fi, stay connected wherever you go and transform your vehicle into a dependable Wi-Fi hotspot. Powering applications like real-time GPS and voice assistant, navigation becomes a breeze. Even on the practice field, AT&T in-car Wi-Fi keeps you connected while in proximity of your vehicle. Work, stream shows, or finish homework without missing a beat. See if you're eligible for a free trial at att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi. Don't let connectivity be a roadblock in your journey. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't try distracted Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use when vehicle is in operation compatible device and vehicle required. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome back, everyone. We are here at the Imperial Court. Uh, not sure if Murasaki had a say in going to court or not. So I don't know if it was like a thing where you get invited, quote unquote, but it's like you have to say you don't yes. get to say no. Yeah. Or if she really did have an opportunity to say, oh, thank you so much, but I'm good. I'll just stay at my dad's house. Mm. But if she did have a choice, it may have been that she felt like she needed a bit of a change after her husband's death, she seemed to be pretty sad. So I'm not sure if she was sad that he was dead <laughs> like because of himself or if uh, she just didn't like being a widow and felt kind of bored. She wrote, I felt depressed and confused. For some years, I had existed from day to day in a listless fashion, doing little more than registering the passage of time. The thought of my continuing loneliness was quite unbearable. So, yeah, I, she may have just been like, sure, change up my life. I'll go to the court. It'll be something different. Um, but she seems to not have liked court life very much. She really disdained the writing of the other famed authors on the court, including Shonagon, although she was, like, reluctantly respectful. <laughs> she's like, yeah, she's good, but she's too lighthearted. <laughs> <laughs> 
She felt everyone at the court was given to jealousy, drunkenness, and ennui. Uh, she wrote in her diary, I cannot be bothered to discuss matters in front of those women who continually carp and are so full of themselves. It would only cause trouble. So all they see of me is a facade. There are times when I am forced to sit with them, and on such occasions, I simply ignore their petty criticisms. Not because I am particularly shy, but because I consider it pointless. As a result, they now look upon me as a dullard. That is so relatable. I know. Like, that feels like high school <laughs> so hard, or middle school, really, honestly, so hard to me. Mm-hmm. I was like, I get this whole sentiment uh-huh. right here. You're just like, I'm not going to enter into any of your bullshit, and now everybody thinks you're no fun to hang out with. <laughs> yeah, like, everyone's being the worst, uh-huh. so I'm just going to sit over here, which means they're going to look at me and be like, wow. That person's so boring, mm-hmm. just sitting over there, just not saying anything. And I'm like, well, what do you want me to say? Your bullshit is terrible. Right. I don't want to be a part of that. Right. And if they're spending the whole time being like, you're so boring. What a dumb bitch. Like, <laughs> right. What are you going to do? You'd oh, be like, oh, yeah, let me argue with invite. you. Yeah. I know, right? <laughs> yeah, let me sit here and argue with you about whether or not I'm a dumb bitch. <laughs> right. Like, obviously, I'm not going to do that. Anyway, so she knew that others in the court found her, quote, pretentious, awkward, difficult to approach, prickly. Too fond of her tales, haughty, <laughs> prone to versifying, disdainful, cantankerous, and scornful. Wow. That's so many bad adjectives in her That is all of them. <laughs> but she also wrote once that people see her that way, and then if they ever take the time to know her, they're very surprised that she's kind and gentle. So well, I was like, maybe she just has a real aloof... I don't know, aspect, you know what I, like she has resting bitch face or something yeah. and people are like, oh, she's probably really mean. And then if they actually give her, you know, some space to be yourself, she's pretty cool. I don't know. If you have that many negative adjectives <laughs> about someone, you're bound to be overstating it and you're going to be, that's like setting your your bar so low for someone. And then they're like, hi. And you're like, wow. I thought you were going to literally stab me in the throat, but you actually said hello to me. I am very, I am very impressed. Uh, Thomas Inge, who is an Asian literature scholar, believes that she, quote, had a forceful personality that seldom won her friends. So she's probably really opinionated and, uh, again, just dismissive of all the stuff they were doing and like to do. So, yeah, yeah she's not, not, not super popular at court as a person. As a writer, yes. As a person, not so much. <laughs> now, it's possible that she didn't hate court life as it was, but rather just found it boring to be a part of Shoshi's court. Mm-hmm. Snooze fest. <laughs> Shoshi was a very serious person, and she judged people by very rigid standards. So her court, quote, gained a reputation for extreme dullness, as Murasaki wrote. Not what Mishinaga was going for, by the way. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, he's over at the side like, damn it, we need to get some dancers in here or something. <laughs> liven this up by introducing a poet. Is there a comedy writer in the house? Anyone? <laughs> so apparently Shoshi gave her ladies-in-waiting some advice about not appearing too flirtatious, saying that going too far could lead to, quote, unpleasant consequences. So they should just reject men's advances, but not in such a way as to hurt their feelings. I'd be like, Jesus, what? God, no. You really gave me a narrow window to work in here, right? I mean, this is a classic female problem here. Yeah. I I just want you to know that. (laughs) This is female trouble, (laughs) 100%. Be flirty, but not too flirty. Not too flirty. And if you don't like them, you have to let them down easy because they might murder you. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Oh, God. 
Murasaki wrote, quote, Now that the Empress's exceedingly stylish brothers bring so many of their young courtier friends to amuse themselves at her house, we have, in self-defense, been obliged to become more virtuous than ever. I think that's a good sign of a sense of humor in Murasaki, too. That is some, yeah. That's snide and a little sarcastic, like, oh. We're, like, into these guys, but no, we're going to put up our fans in our face, and we're not even going to look at them. (laughs) Show she wouldn't like it. Yeah. Uh, Now that all these hot boys showed up, I guess we'll just be saintly virgins. (laughs) Great choice, Shoshi. Thank you. Or, like, also, like, thanks for your advice. Why are you bringing all these dudes around? (laughs) If you want me to let them down easy, don't let them in. (laughs) Bring some ugly dudes in here next time. <laughs> we'll have a much easier easy. time. Oh, thank you so much. I would love to, but I have to wash my floor-length hair tonight. And it does take some time. <laughs> it takes two weeks. <laughs> Three people. Um, so, who knows? She may have liked court life better if she was serving Lady Senshi, the emperor's mother. Her court was more lighthearted and fun. Mm-hmm. But uh, hard to say because... It doesn't seem like Murasaki really approved of lighthearted kind of stuff that was going on up there. Like, she tended to look down on women who had affairs, for example, and she didn't like drunkenness. And she didn't enter, like, poetry competitions or anything like that. Speculation Station. Okay. Did she teach Shoshi to be dull? Like, when she was teaching her poetry, was she like, also, it's not classy to flirt with men. Do you know what I mean? Like, she had a little influence there. But then she got sarcastic about it she did so then i was like maybe maybe they were just kind of similar yeah in that respect or she was just conforming maybe i don't know or yeah or maybe she was like making fun of it like this kid is so serious what's going on they're seeing her as like a daria type Mm. like real like kind of flat and like i'm not getting excited about things no i'm not going to going to engage in your spirited activities but no, don't get drunk around me and have a party. And mm-hmm. also, don't be boring. Yeah. Ugh. Like, I think that's where I'm feeling about I her like right that. now. Is like, so, she's Daria. She's Daria. Yeah. Right on. I huh. think that works for me. After Emperor Ishijo died in 1011, Shoshi left the court along with Murasaki, and they lived in a Fujiwara mansion. And Murasaki may have died in the year 1014, though some believe she died maybe in 1025, quite a bit later. But she dedicated her days to literature and religion, and her daughter, Kenshi, became a distinguished poet in her own right. And the tale of Genji, meanwhile, has never gone out of style. Uh, Helen McCullough, an American translator and Japanologist, says it has universal appeal because, quote, its basic subject matter and setting are those of the romance. Murasaki Shikibu's unique genius has made the work for many a powerful statement of human relationships, the impossibility of permanent happiness in love, and the vital importance in a world of sorrows, of sensitivity to the feelings of others. Japan has not seen another such genius. Wow, that is both very complimentary to this work and very insulting to every author of Japan ever since then. (laughs) Uh, Listen, I've got a great teacher Onizuka manga that would say different, (laughs) ma'am. The story was so popular that Emperor Ichijo had it read to him, even though it was in Japanese and not Chinese. Oh, wow. And it was highly sought after in provinces where copies were scarce, of course, because they weren't close to the court to get them. Oh, yeah. Yeah, gimme, gimme. Are you done with that yet? I want to read it. 
you know they probably read them out of order and stuff too like whenever oh, they got yeah, a yeah. chapter they were just like fuck it yeah you read it yeah as early as the 12th century her writing was considered required reading for court poets and was studied by scholars wow. so it didn't take very long before no, they jumped right on it they were like this is good yeah in the 17th century female virtue became tied to literary knowledge right ladies learning we love it <laughs> And suddenly Murasaki or Genji-inspired stuff was in high demand. 1600s, this stuff was popping off. Mm -hmm. Lacquer boxes, you had screens with the images painted on them, scrolls, and so on. They all depicted scenes from Genji or illustrations of Murasaki. These all became very popular for noble women, and they symbolically imbued a bride with more cultural status. So they became... Uh, you know, like great wedding gifts and stuff. Uh, in the 18th century, these items had come to symbolize marital success. So everyone was like, get your Genji lunch boxes, <laughs> get your Genji letterman jackets, get your Genji uh, uh, phone cases, <laughs> socks. Yeah. We got shirts with Murasaki on us. She's looking at the moon. <laughs> Can wrap your car in chapter eight <laughs> of the Tale of Genji. Yeah, you could make one of those bags that's got all the words from the story. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Those those tote bags. That would be a big bag. It would. For a 1,000 page. page. Oof. In 2008, Kyoto held a year-long celebration of the 1,000th year of the tale of Genji. Um, that's what that New York Times article is about. The author is at that celebration and <clears throat> kind of describing it. And they held poetry competitions, and women would dress up in the court dress of the high-end period. So they were wearing floor-length wigs. They were on those sandals that they would wear that just had, like, basically two little boards you were walking on. Yeah. And they had these really elaborate dresses and everything. Did they, they blacken did their all. teeth? Maybe not. <laughs> Chew on some charcoal Maybe not. for a little while? <laughs> Maybe they didn't do it all. <laughs> they might have left that part out. Uh, since the epic is so long, as we've pointed out, uh, very few people read the actual thing anymore uh, in Japan, I should say. But they consume racy mangas and abridged editions that are sometimes very bawdy, oh. and they're written in modern Japanese. New York Times says that inventors at Kyoto University have even produced a Murasaki robot that recites passages of her work. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I mean... We need a robot for everything. Uh, this one just reads passages from the tale of Genji. <laughs> well, it's kind of like how we had Wishbone classics. You know what I mean? Oh, like, yeah, yeah, I know, yeah. I know kids are not going to read the Odyssey, but right. follow this beagle through the Odyssey. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you know, they just want to engage you with this classic work in any way they can, <laughs> right, basically. Right. Um, and I, I'm curious. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I would read a racy manga. <laughs> so... Yeah, that, that's the story of Murasaki Shikibu and the tale of Genji. Yeah, I think this is so cool to like kind of take a, a different view of of romance, you know, again, not through a couple, but rather through like a whole cultural movement and a work of literature that really, mm -hmm. uh, you know, not even changed the game, but just was definitive. You know, it, yeah. it grew into something else. I think that's really cool. Yeah, and I, I just got really fascinated that somebody who experienced so little romance in her own life was so great about writing about it that everyone's still talking about it a thousand years later. Yeah. And she's a symbol for marital happiness. Yeah. Like, that's just funny to me that I feel like if she could see her her the effect today, she'd be like, oh, for real? <laughs> All right. <laughs> cool. She'd, she'd take a creative writing course today, and they, the first thing they'd say is, 
first lesson is write what you know. And she'd be like, fuck you. <laughs> I'm going to write what I think, and it's going to be brilliant. That's right. <laughs> it's going to endure. And but you got to be that smart to do that. Very true. And she actually had something interesting to say with her exactly, observations, yeah. as did, say, Shonagon. Right. Without without the pillow book, we also wouldn't know very much about high-end court life oh, wow. and what it was like. So because of their writing, you know, really gave us a peek into an ancient culture. So these are this was cool. I hope you guys enjoyed this one. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. this was a really fun one. And it's like you said, so great to kind of peek back at ancient uh, feudal Japan, mm. kind of learn something there. Uh, such a cool culture and just stylistically from the outside looking in I think I love that era well uh, definitely let us know what you all thought Mm -hmm. Uh, you know how to reach us our email address is romance at iheartmedia.com and we're on social media I'm at Diana Might Boom on Instagram and Twitter and I am at oh great it's Eli and the show is at Redick Romance and don't forget, uh, if you want to jump onto Apple Podcasts, they are like the only place you can leave an actual review of the show. And we love them. We love getting them and we love hearing from you guys. And we love seeing your kind, awesome words. And they help the show uh, get out to more people. So don't forget to go check us out on uh, Ridiculous History. Uh, yes. Two-parter there with yeah. uh, Diana and I both popping in to say hi to Ben and Noel. We had a great time joining them. And a lot of you have said you want a Speculation Station t-shirt, so we will try to get the ball rolling on that. We're working Now on that it. we've sold, what, 10? 10 or 11, yeah. <laughs> That's something. Yeah. Yeah. We, yeah. we got to take it to the corporate overlords and say, look how much money you could be making off of us. At least $50. <laughs> Look, hey, uh, sorry to break the news for you, but those shirts ain't going to be five bucks. Nope. (laughs) (laughs) They're going to make us pay for them. (laughs) True. Well, anyway, we'll see what happens. (laughs) Thanks again, y'all. We will talk to you soon. Love you. Bye. So long, friends. It's time to go. Thanks for listening to our show. Tell your friends, neighbors, uncles, and aunts to listen to our show, Ridiculous Romance. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? 
I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At ChumbaCasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Need an easy button to feed your baby? Baby Bretza's Formula Pro Advanced makes a perfectly mixed warm formula bottle automatically at the push of a button. No air bubbles, no fuss. Literally, choose your temp, select your ounces, push start, and you're done. Works with virtually all formulas and bottles. Say goodbye to the 3 a.m. feeding chaos and hello to this revolutionary stress-free solution. Raising a baby is hard enough. Let Baby Bretza make feeding a breeze. Get your Formula Pro Advanced at babybrezza.com. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.